veteran had made $100,000 in a baseball business in Los Angeles. And then as, um, as Nick Hilton came up, the crowd really cheered him on and he came up to the podium and he said, as he started to speak, actually, there's a few corrections I need to make. He said, it wasn't me. It was my brother. And he said, it wasn't in Los Angeles. It was in San Diego. And it wasn't baseball, but it was football. He said, it wasn't $100,000, it was a million. But he didn't make it. He lost it. So by the time you take all of those out, I wonder whether the cheering of the crowd might have stopped by now. We love people a lot because of who they are and what they have done, don't we? In New Zealand, we love our sports heroes, and that's after the World Cup, and that's Richie, of course, Richie McCaw, way back then, and going through Auckland, cheering, and the crowds love him. And imagine if, if he was a notary speaker here in this town, um, this, the hall would be full, would it not? Or Lisa Harrington, who was Carrington, who was a, a lot more recent, or Amy Fisher. And we love these people because of who they are and what they've done. That's not unusual. And even back in Bible times, Esau, uh, he, uh, this message went to Esau, he says, humble beginnings from your servant Jacob, until now I've been living with Uncle Laban. Now I've got cattle and donkeys and flocks of sheep and goats and many servants and both men and women, both men and women. And even Abraham, it is uh, recorded there how that he was rich in livestock, silver and gold. Does, do we think like that today? Well, I think we do to some degree, don't we? We might deny it. It might be very subconscious. It might be very subtle. But we do look around at people, and people do like to do things to be recognised and have that nice car in the driveway if they can afford it or that beautiful-looking lounge that's there. Well, clothing is so important to so many people, but that's not where God looks. And today we're going to be talking about one of the characters in the Old Testament there by the name of Jacob, who all of what he had was stripped away. And he stood in a ring completely by himself, without his family, without his wealth, without his servants to defend him, without anything. And God talked to him right there. Now the story of Jacob starts in chapter 25 of Genesis and actually runs right through to the very end, chapter 50. Not all of it about Jacob, there's a bit that comes in between of, about others. Uh, but nevertheless, we, we can't obviously go right through the whole story of Jacob in the time that we've got today. So just to speed through some of it and to touch down in some specific places, uh, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Um, he was the youngest of twins. Um, he bribed Esau out of the birthright. The firstborn in that culture had special privileges and special inheritances. 
And Jacob knew that, but Jacob was the youngest of the two twins. He wanted what Esau had a right to and bribed him out of it, and he even swindled that firstborn blessing away from him. And as a result of that, I'm not sure what it had achieved for him really because Esau wanted to, it was reputed that he was going to kill him for what he had done. And so Jacob had to leave home and he fled. And we just want to touch down here for a moment and talk about what happens in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, 10 to 17, he says, As he slept, he dreamed of a ladder that reached up from the earth to the heavens. And he saw angels of God going up and down on that ladder. Now, most of the translations of the Bible talk, uh, refer, refer to it as a ladder. Maybe it wasn't so much a ladder as a stairway, and some of the newer translations call it a stairway. And I think that's perfectly reasonable because Jacob was looking at angels going up and down that stairway. Now, we've got a stairway at home, and I've got ladders at home. And Kim and I can often walk up and and down that stairway um, together. Or we can even pass on it, and that's very nice. But we don't try anything like that on a ladder. And here the angels are going up and down on it, and there he sees and he, and he, meets, he sees God there, and it says, The Lord stood beside him in that dream. And this is what the Lord says to him. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land that, in which you lie I will give you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, And all of the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until what? Until I have done what um, I have promised you. Now when you listen to that blessing that God promised to Jacob there in that dream. It reminds you of something that's happened just back two generations ago, doesn't it? That this is, this is the promise that God had made to Abraham and then to Isaac. And now he makes it, he reinforces it to Jacob. Now remember that Jacob was the younger son. Um, and Before they were born, Rebecca was told that the younger person would, um, the younger son would um, serve the older. And so this would happen. I wonder whether that was part of the reason why Rebecca um, schemed in the way she did and helped Jacob to swindle her brother the way that she did. But there was no need for any of that because all of this was set in God's plan. And Jacob was to inherit that firstborn blessing anyway. But now he's on the run and he's completely on his own. And he's done this scheming to bring it all about. But then in that, God makes him this promise. He says this, 
He says, I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything that I have promised you. Now we need to do a fast forward again. Oh no, just before we do that. You know, um, in the history of Israel and in our lives, there are many times, isn't there, when we had to learn that God has his plans for us and he will protect us. And even in those darkest nights, God keeps his promises. And, you know, years later, after the nation of Israel was established, after they'd been in the land for many years, but then they had sinned against God and completely lost their way, and they had finished up away down in Babylon. And God made this promise to them. He says, I know the plans that I've got for you. Says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And these are the lessons that we need to learn as we go through life. That God, if we belong to him, has got us in his hand. And so often we think that we have to do things on our own to make things work out right. We pray, but then we go out to give God a hand, do we not? And that's what Jake had been, had been doing. He had been out there trying to give God a hand. And yes, God knew that all these things, things would happen. But now he's on the run and he's away. But God would bring it back according to this promise. He would bring him back into this land because that was the promise that he had made for him. Way, way back even to his grandfather Abraham. So let's move on from here. We don't have time to actually go into all of these interesting stories that are part of that story of Jacob. Just to... Just mentioned a few things that happened. He carried on to meet, to stay with his uncle Laban, Rebecca's brother. That's where they told him he should go. And he stayed there for many years. Um, while he was there, he met this beautiful girl, Rachel. She was cool. He fell in love with her. He wanted to marry her. He worked for seven years uh, to, to, to pay his f f future father-in-law so that he could marry her. Her, but he got a bit of his own back then. He got double-crossed, and in the morning, in the first morning of the honeymoon, he wakes up and finds that he's got Leah, the sister, in bed with him. That's something, isn't it? <laughs> now, it's not that Leah was a bad woman at all. From what the Bible says, she was a good woman, but she was not Rachel, and it was not the one that he was in love with. And while he was there also, he accumulates wealth, and there's also all this argy-bargy that goes on between Laban and, and him. And he accumulates a lot of wealth by taking, as the agreement was, all of that stock and stuff that was born that was a little bit um, deformed or different colours and all of that kind of stuff, yeah. But he thought that he was clever in doing all of this. But in the, in the end, really, it was God who was blessing him. But then things started to go a little bit haywire between him and Laban and he realised it was time to go back home and meet his brother Esau. Now that was to bring something up, wasn't it? He had fled from Esau. His parents have died by this stage and he's got to go back now and face Esau who said that after his father had died that he would kill Jacob for what he had done. But God said to him, you need to go back. 
Go, to, go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives. And he promised, he said, I will be with you. After, afterwards, and so Jacob then sends a message off to Esau and to say that he is coming home. And in, in verse 6 of chapter 32, we read that after delivering the message, message to Esau, they returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother, Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Now that would kind of send a shiver down your spine, wouldn't it? And he is very concerned that this is not going to go the way that he had hoped. And so Jacob prays. Now this is one of those very special prayers recorded in the Bible. Um, and it's good to have a look at this prayer because it tells us so much. And it's a, a pattern of things that we can learn from this prayer when we pray to God. And this is what Jacob prayed. He says, O oh God my, of my grandfather Abraham and the God of my father Isaac, it is, he is the God who had made all of these promises about the land of Israel and his purpose here on earth. And he says, O oh Lord, you told me. He says, you return to your own land and to your relatives and you promised me I will treat you kindly. He said, I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, your servant. When I left home, I crossed the Jordan River I own nothing except a walking stick. And now my household fills two large camps. O oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. And I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and my children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sand along the seashore. Too many to count. And that was the end of that prayer. And so Jacob in that time humbles himself completely before God, recognises that he, the one who used to manipulate and make things go his own way in the past, now he needs to come to God and humble himself. And he certainly humbles himself at this point and says, hey, look, you promised me I can't do much to defend myself if my brother Esau is going to come and fight me with 400 men. And he stays where he was for the night. And then during the night he selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother Esau. Okay, now we can't read all of those gifts, but he basically divides his stock up into groups of 300 each. And he sends them off to Esau as gifts to try and soften him and show him that he has changed and that he is not coming back uh, to express any kind of hatred to Esau at all, but rather to make amends for what he had done all those years before. And he says, go ahead of me with the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. And he gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. When my brother Esau meets you, 
You will ask, who, he will ask, whose who servant are you? Why are you? Where are you going? Who owns these animals? And you must reply, they belong to my servant Jacob, but they are a gift for my brother Esau. Look, he is coming right behind us. And so he does that, and all those, those groups of animals are led out by Jacob's servants as they head away out to Esau. And with that, um, he has done the best that he can do. But during the night, he gets up and he takes his two wives and his two servant wives and his 11 sons, so that includes Joseph, and, uh, but the youngest, Benjamin, is not born yet, his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sends over all of his possessions. And this leaves Jacob alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Now that's that picture you can see up on the screen there is the picture that we've been using um, through this whole series. I want you to have a look at that picture just for a moment, thinking about this, about Jacob being alone in the camp and then this man coming in and wrestling with him. It's quite a famous story, this. But when you look at it, there's something wrong with that picture isn't it? What's wrong with that picture? Now I'm not taking Craig down for this because my picture that I put in there has got exactly the same fault in it. What's wrong with that? The angel looks like a woman. But what did you say about the angel? Hey? It's an angel on... The, the picture depicts an angel rather than a man. An angel rather than a man. And also, do angels have wings? Well, we always draw them with wings, don't we? But you were right. Yeah, it was an angel rather than a man. But it says there that there was a man that stepped into that ring and wrestled with him. And we may assume, presume, and some people do presume that it was an angel, but as you go through... That story, this is what happened. It says, um, this left Jacob all alone in the camp and the man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Um, and it says in verse 30, jumping ahead there, it says, I have seen, God's, I have seen God's, God face to face, yet my life has been spared. So from that, yes, we, uh, we, it is not an angel. This is an example of God appearing in the life of Jacob face to face. There are other occasions in the Bible when, uh, when this actually happens. Um, some call it a personification of God, but it's an appearance of God like human flesh there in the life of somebody. Can anybody think of any other examples of when this actually happens? Moses, yeah, when, when was that? Oh, okay, yes, he, he did see Moses, uh, God up the mountain, yes. But when uh, he sees a, a human person coming to him, like a man, and then realising afterwards that it was God, is there anything, any other examples? Abraham is one, yes? Joshua, Joshua. okay. Uh, and what about Abraham? 
Three men came. Three men came and started talking with Abraham and telling him, uh, first of all, that uh, his wife Sarah was going to have a child. And then, as he goes on, he he says, um, will I not tell Abraham what I plan to do down in Sodom and Gomorrah? And so Abraham communicates with him. That's the bargain with him about the 50, you know. What if you find 50 righteous people there? And so that was a man, but it really, it was God. It was God who had stepped into a human body for the purpose of talking to him face to face. And this is exactly what is happening here. And so Jacob here is left all alone in the camp and this man comes and wrestles with him and wrestles with him until the dawn begins to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, and I find this quite an unusual story, it's so deep and there's so many questions, the man would not win the match, yet it was God. Okay, but Jacob is winning this wrestling match and so God, or the man, touches Jacob's hip and wrenches it out of its socket. And and then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. Whoops, sometimes it does that. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name will no longer be called Jacob. The man told him, from now on you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Now the name Jacob means swindler. Um, That was his name. That was his name. But the name Israel, that's the name of the the nation of Israel today. It's the same nation. You know? Um, The name means Yisrael, which means God contends or one who struggles with God. And so that was his name from then onwards. And it says, So Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life was spared. That was an incredible thing, wasn't it? You know, people feared to actually see God face to face because of who he was, and they thought that they would die if that ever happened. That was what? Um, yeah, Moses as well. He thought about that, didn't he? Yeah. And Elijah, uh, he was scared to see God's face. But here, in this person, in this man, Jacob said, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And, it's, and the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury of his hip. And even today, the people of Israel won't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. We could call this, this was a significant event that happened right then. We could call it, I kind of call it a conversion experience because even though he had, he had heard from God and had uh, encounters with God in the past, here at this point, God won him over. He, was, he brought him t- 
to his knees. God brought him to his knees at this point. He realized, Jacob realized that no longer could he do things on his own and in his own strength, but he needed to rely on God. And God changed his attitude completely right at this point. Have you ever had a time in your life where maybe you spent the night wrestling with God? Has there been any significant time in our lives when maybe tragedy or major health events have caused us to beg and to call out to God for help and to question what he is doing in our lives, confronting a confronting time in our lives when God is dealing with maybe there were things in our lives that were wrong and God, you realise that God is dealing with us face to face with the events that are happening to cause us to repent and to bring us to God all of these, these things happen in our lives do they not? Yeah. I want to fast forward again and there's enough, uh, there are many years that happened in between this, this time and the time when we come to the end of the, uh, the book of Genesis and the time when we catch up with Jacob again. In between times, there is the whole story of Joseph. Okay, he's, his um, family has grown up and there's the story of Joseph and then there's the story about how they finish up away down in Egypt and this part of Jacob's life now is at the time when he's actually down in Egypt himself after the famine and he's gone down there with his family. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, it says in, in chapter 47. Years of his life were 147. That's not bad, is it? That, that would do, so long as you're well enough at that age. But when the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, I've found favour in your eyes. If I have found favour in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and, and faithfulness and don't bury me, please, here in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where my fathers are buried. And so Joseph promises him, swears to him that he will do it. Now why was, that, was Jacob so intent on this happening? It's because God, Jacob now has caught the vision and he realises that he is a man and a chain of men who would carry out God's promises. He, is, he was here for a purpose and he, is prepared, he was prepared from the time that he wrestled with God until now, he was prepared to submit to the plan of God and to go and do what God wanted him to do. And he sees now that he is the father of a huge nation and he now wants to... He wants to do what God has planned for this nation. And then something else happens. He says, and when he's, he passes on the, uh, the blessings to Joseph's sons, and he passes on blessings to his own 12 sons, 
about the nation of Israel and what would happen in their lives. And then he, it says there in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 47, verse 31, and he says, Swear to me, and Joseph swore to him. And Joseph worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now you wonder, what is the significance of that? Is that anything? He simply says that he worshipped God leaning on the top of his staff. But in the scripture, obviously, this was hugely significant. Because we, in the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith, fame, you know, what do you call it? The, you know, the Hall of Fame in the chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's repeated there. It says, there by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. And then he worshipped God as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now, there's much been written about that, but let's keep it simple. Simply, that staff, he was leaning on it, as we do, and you've probably seen me just leaning on mine from time to time, simply because I need to. And that was it for Jacob. He did it because he needs to. But the significance of it is this, that it points back to that time 20-odd years before when he was in that camp all alone and God stepped into that camp there with him and as he wrestled with him, as they wrestled together, and as Jacob submitted to the authority of God, God lamed him there as a reminder of who God was and the purpose that he had for his life. Many people have had encounters with God along the way, right? Some of you people here will have had encounters with God along the way. I've had them. And I've, told, I've given my testimony before and I'm not going to repeat it now, but there was a time in my life when I truly wrestled with God. There was a time when I was told that I, um, if I kept going around surgeons about 28 years ago to try and find somebody who would give me a back operation and I wasn't going to get it. And as I came to a point where I realised that I could have been crippled like that for the rest of my life, I spent a whole night without any sleep and trying to find a, a scripture in the Bible that where God would speak to me and tell me uh, just what he had planned for my life. And I come across this picture in a book that I had in my case. I wasn't reading, I was simply looking at it. Uh, and I hadn't even found the place, but this picture popped up in the book. Now, I've told you that story before, but I've never really had an opportunity to, to, to show you the picture. Have a look at that picture closely. What's it look like? Because that picture was drawn by Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata was a quadriplegic. She had no use of her legs or her hands. She drew that picture 
with a pencil in her mouth. Now, doesn't that add to the significance of that picture? I read her stories. I read several of her books, and they were very encouraging to me. She went through stuff that would, what I experienced was nothing like what she experienced. But this was where she was at now. She was an artist, and she used to do this kind of thing. But I want you to look and see something else in there. It says, He that believes in me, out of him shall flow rivers of living water. That's a quote from John chapter 7, verse 38. And at that period of, in my life, I looked at that verse over many, over many weeks after that and began to realise that this was something that God was telling, to, telling me as well. As obviously, it had meant so much to her. It says, out of him will throw rivers of living water. Now, I find that quite significant because you go back to just three chapters in the Gospel of John and we read about Jesus having this, this um, meeting with the Samaritan woman there at the well. And he says to her, the water that I give you will be a spring of water welling up to everlasting life. And she says, give me this water. And that was her conversion experience. And so she's looking for water to flow into her. And yes, it would well up into everlasting life. But she's looking for that. And one would have thought that in our deepest moments that we would be looking for something to flow into us, wouldn't we? But here, in this verse, it says, out of him. And that was the message. That is the message that in our brokenness where we are, God can pick us up from that and give us a hope for the future. He can use us. He can, he can use us to be of service to him in a way that water can, that, that living water can flow out from us and our testimony to other people around us. Out of him will flow. Yeah. Love stories of people who have wrestled with God. We like to read books at home about people who have been through very deep experiences and have come out of the other side. They have really wrestled with God. And they come out and God has used them, transformed their lives through the experiences that they have been through. And God has used them to witness and to help to other people. There was one just on, we watched Shine TV a wee bit and some of the good stories that they have on there. And there was one just recently where one of the counsellors at this rehabilitation centre came out in the end that she had burns all over her body from a house fire where she had tried to rescue her family but had lost them all. And you think, man, how do you come back from that? But she did. And God was using her in this rehab centre to help other people. And so that living water was flowing from her unto uh, other people. And so Jacob worshipped God leaning on the top of his staff. We're going to finish right here now. But um, as we do so, we're going to finish with a song 
which, which I've grown to love, actually. A, uh, a song, a modern song, and obviously far too long, far, far back for Jacob to have ever heard the words of this song. But as we sing it, think about Jacob. Think about how this fits into his life. Oh, your mercy never failed me. All my days I've been held in your hands. He made Jacob that promise when he was there at the bottom of the ladder. And then afterwards, I, and all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. If you've been through or are even going through some of the experiences that we've been talked about,